Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories, seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. Hey there, moms. I hope you're having a great day. I know I say that every time we're together, but I really do hope you're having a great day. Maybe you're settling in with a cup of tea to spend a little time with me. Maybe you're running a few errands. Welcome along for the ride today. We've been talking about love from a biblical standpoint, not from the squishy definitions that are ever-changing out in the world. We talked about a definition based on Scripture. Last time we talked about love's covenant, how God initiated and comes to us. And this time we're going to talk about love's choice. That's you and me. I'll be right back. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay, love's choice. Love's choice. See, we we do have a choice. God comes, initiates a relationship with us, extends to you and I an invitation to participate in what he's doing. 
And you and I have a choice to respond to that. And I'm just going to say before we get too far down this path, there are some choices of response that are not positive ones. If you have a two-year-old in your home, you have witnessed some of those not-so-great responses to the love of God. You know what it's like to ask one of your kids to do something and for them to throw a tantrum or maybe to run away or maybe ignore you or maybe shout no to you. So none of those would be the correct response to the Almighty when He comes and initiates a relationship with you or invites you to participate with Him. One of the beautiful things I love about this ongoing relationship with my Savior is there is this overarching invitation that is extended to all of those of His those of us who are his children, right, to live worthy. But then there are also those very particular, specific invitations he gives to you and me personally to follow him, to fulfill what he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And those commandments are not just the commandments that were given throughout Scripture, those admonitions of how to live and what to do outlined whether you look as a resource for that in 1 Corinthians 13, what it means to love, joy, um, to be patient and kind, or if you're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, or perhaps in one of the epistles where it talks about being sober and being on guard and standing firm, whatever one of the reference points you want to give for that, the end of the day, it comes down to trust and obey. The invitation that we have, the choice that we're given, because love gives a choice. God doesn't force us. He doesn't force us. He gives us a choice. He makes it very clear. If you say you love me, if you say you love God, if you say you love Christ, if you say that you love me, Christ says, then keep my commandments. It's very clear. And I'm taken back to the childhood song. It's a, an old hymn. And you know, if you know me at all, you know I love the old hymns. And this one, I was raised on trust and obey when we walk with the Lord in the light of his word. What a glory he sheds on our way. While we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. If indeed you are walking in trust and obedience, God abides with you. As you seek to serve him in word and deed, we are assured throughout scripture that he walks with us, even in the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. See, look, just because we trust and obey, and we're going to look at the long list of examples we're given in the biblical narrative today, doesn't mean everything always goes great. Sometimes we're required to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but that doesn't mean we abandon trust and obedience. No, we must determine to walk in trust and obedience. So I want to look today at, again, some characters in the biblical narrative that were given this same choice that you and I were given. How did they do? How did they respond? Many who claimed to love God, how did they do with this issue of trust and obedience? Because one of the glorious things, there are many, about the biblical narrative is its rawness and its realness. 
throughout, we are given examples of people just like you and me. These were real people written down about, their lives are written about here in the biblical narrative. Study it, read it, and be wowed by how raw it is because they're not perfect. They're flawed. All of them are flawed. Look, we are all sinners. We all fall into temptation. It's not that we are called to perfection. He is our perfection. But we are called to endeavor to follow after him. And when we fall, to humble ourselves, to confess our sin, to repent and get up and move on. That's what we're called to, right? It's in the practice of sin that we get in trouble, Right? It's when we choose to turn and walk in sin. That is not a characteristic of those who are following after God. If you are following after God, you are choosing to trust and obey imperfectly, but with your whole heart. That's what you're doing. So let's start. We talked last time about the six different covenants that are outlined in the Old Testament pointing towards the New Testament and the person of Jesus Christ. And we started out with Adam and Eve right back there in the beginning, chapters one and two of Genesis. We have Adam and Eve. And remember, God gave them one directive, one thing, one do not do. Do not do, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Did they trust and obey? It's not a trick question. The answer is no. They did not trust and obey, and it's just tragic that they did not. Look, if you are struggling with obedience, when I struggle with obedience, guess what? It's usually, if not always, an issue of trust. Do I believe that God is who he says he is? Look, if I don't, I'm not going to obey. I'm not. If I don't trust that he's in charge, that he is sovereign, that he is able, that he is the God of the impossible, that he is the great redeemer, that nothing is wasted, then guess what? I'm not going to obey. But if I do, if I do believe that he sits squarely on the throne, that he sees it all from beginning to end, that he has a plan that he has not abandoned me, that he is faithful and he is true and he provides and he defends. If I believe he is who he says he is, I may not want to obey, but I obey. I may not understand why I need to obey, except apart from the fact that he said for me to, right? Obedience and trust are inextricable from each other. To trust is to obey, and to obey is to trust. To trust and obey is what we're called to do. And we see here at the very beginning of the biblical narrative that at some level, some significant level, Eve doubted that God was who he said he was. The the enemy came in, the serpent started whispering, and planted seeds of doubt that took root in Eve. And she began to doubt that God was who he said he was. I heard one Bible teacher recently say it was as though the serpent came in and slithered in and said, "Ah, you know, God's not, he's not leveling with you. He's holding out on you. There's something else he's not telling you. You can't trust him. I mean, really? Did he really say? I mean, he said you can eat everything, but not, I mean, and she fell for it. She felt she fell for it like you and I fall for it. 
See, another key to trusting and obeying is focusing on God. And at some level in this story, this at the very beginning of the Bible story, when the fall happens, when sin is introduced, when death comes into the world, we see Eve in her weakened state because she's not focused on God. She's focused on the fruit. And she's listening to the enemy. There's a lesson there for you and I. We've got to make sure that we keep our eyes focused on him. Focused on him. We go forward. We've got Noah, who is an excellent example. God comes to him with this unbelievable invitation. I want you to build a boat because I see mankind and they are wicked, but I want to save you and your sons and your son's wives and your wife. And so I want you to build this boat. And God is very specific in outlining the kind of wood and the dimensions of this boat. And you and I so easily read this story and we're like, yeah. Noah built a boat. I'm like, yeah, before Home Depot, Noah built a boat. He took God up on this extended offer to do something extraordinary, and he couldn't call for lumber to be delivered. This was a long process, and Noah did it. And there's no wrestle here. We see in the narrative, it says, and Noah did all that God commanded. Oh, that it would be true of you and me. Because what God asked Noah to do was no short-term project. It was a long-term project, and he did it. He did it. Very often, you and I are all about the short-term. Yeah, I want to do this, and I want it to turn out this way. But Noah took a lot of heat. And that's a discussion for a different day. For now, I just want you to see that there are people in the narrative that did what God asked, that trusted who God was and acted accordingly. We skip forward then to Abraham. God comes to Abraham and promises him it's going to make him a great nation, but Abraham doesn't have any son. He and Sarah do not have any children. She is clearly barren. They don't have any children, but it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham believed God when everything, every circumstance, God had said, I'm going to make you the father of nations. And Abraham didn't have any children. And yet it says that Abraham believed God. Would you and I dare to believe God even when none of the tangible circumstances in our lives point to that belief being valid? That's what Abraham did. That's why Abraham is called the father of the faithful. Go then to Job, who was a contemporary of Abraham. And we have Job, who is highlighted by God to Satan. Hi, how about my servant Job? And Satan basically comes back, first chapter of the book of Job. Yeah, I mean, like, what about Job? You've blessed him. Of course he's He's faithful to you. Of course, he offers sacrifice. I mean, how hard can it be? He's got 10 kids and all the camels and all the goats and all the sheep anybody could want. He's got a great reputation. Of course. I mean, good grief. Of of course. And God goes, yeah, that's not why he's faithful. And so you see, as you read the book of Job, God allows, God allows Satan to take everything. 
everything from Job to completely strip him. But even in the midst of all of that pain and loss, substantial and in quick succession, none of us can ever whine about a bad day. Job gets that opportunity and he doesn't even take advantage of it. Everything he has is gone. And what do we see Job say? Job chapter one, everything's gone. He says this, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job did not take his eyes off his God. He trusted and he obeyed. The second time God allowed Satan to even touch him physically, but not take his life. And we still see Job, even in a weakened physical state, we see him fixed and wait and wait. If you go over to Job, Chapter 19, verse 25, he says this, As for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that at last he will take his stand on the earth. We see in Job a weak man, an exhausted man, an overwhelmed with grief man who determined to trust and obey God, who determined to trust and obey. Let's look now at the life of Joseph. Joseph did not have a specific directive like we see in the life of Noah. Noah was given a very specific directive by God. This is what I this is the circumstances and this is what I want you to do with me to save your your family. That's not what we have in Joseph. In fact, in Joseph's story, you kind of get the sense that life was coming at him fast, right? So, I mean, you can paint Joseph as cocky kid who was arrogant and was telling his brothers about these dreams that he was having, or, and I tend to land on a different side of this, I tend to think he very innocently told them his dreams. I mean, Okay, he they asked, did you have any dreams last night? And he told them and he wasn't I don't think he I don't think he was cocky. I think he was just caught up in a negative family circumstance where there was very clear favoritism towards him and he didn't get it. And so he ends up being targeted by his other brothers because he's their father's favorite and finds himself in the bottom of a pit, right? And then the next thing you know, he's sold to a caravan of people. I mean, his brothers sell him. Life has swirled out of control. And then he sold to Potiphar. And then things are going better for a little bit of time. But then Potiphar's wife makes a move on him. I mean, if you're Joseph, you're like, wait just a minute. How did I get here? Because I didn't choose any of this. I have been a victim of all of these other people's jealousy and anger and seduction and revenge. And look, I I didn't make any of these choices, right? He finds himself in prison when he should have been probably killed because of Potiphar's wife's accusation. Makes you wonder if he even took it seriously. Anyway, Joseph is in prison at this point, rises through the ranks in prison, rightly interprets the two dreams of the baker and the cupbearer, right? And the only thing he asks in exchange is that they'll remember him to the king and they probably forget, right? Of course, one of them is beheaded, but that's beside the point. And so he is still in prison. And yet through all of these circumstances... 
These were not his choices. These were not consequences because he made bad choices. In fact, he ends up in prison because he runs, he flees the intentional seduction of Potiphar's wife toward him. He ends up in prison for doing, don't miss it, the right thing, right? And yet, when the timing is right, when the king has another dream, the cupbearer goes, oh, right, I remember now, there was this guy in prison, right? What we see in Joseph's life is persistent trusting and obeying and trusting and obeying when it doesn't seem to be making any difference. But he kept trusting and obeying. And ultimately, God elevated him to a position in the fullness of time and was orchestrating all of these circumstances where it was time for Joseph to be in the position necessary to get the country through the famine. And through that also, he brings his brothers back to him. And there's this miraculous reconciliation. And when the brothers are just sure their heads are going to roll because of what they did all those years ago, Joseph is sitting there going, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, look what God did. Look what God did. And it all comes together for him. And he realizes that, yeah, man, you intended something really awful through this, but look what God did. I'm just going to tell you, that's what trust and obedience is all about, is look what God did, right? God always honors our trust and our obedience, even when we can't see that it makes a difference, even when no one else sees God always honors that, and we see that in the life of Joseph. We see with Jochebed, who is Moses' mother, in the opening of the book of Exodus, we see a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. He comes to power, and he doesn't know everything that happened with Joseph and all the amazing things that Joseph did during the famine. And he sees this mass of people, these Hebrews, that outnumber his own people, and he becomes paranoid, right? And he is just sure that he's got to do something to control them, or they're going to wage war against the Egyptians, and they're going to win just by sheer numbers. So this Pharaoh gets paranoid. And the first thing he does is he goes to the midwives, the Hebrew midwives, and he charges these Hebrew midwives. Now, don't miss this. This is a story that we read, we read over often. There's lots of these stories in the Bible. I want to encourage you to read carefully. Every single word of the biblical narrative is here for our encouragement. So don't read it over. Don't rush it through. Read it. So we have these two midwives. They're brought into the presence of the Pharaoh. He tells them, what I want you to do is kill all the baby boys. That's pretty clear. This is Pharaoh. I want you to kill the baby boys. And these two midwives, they can't be confused about the charge that they've just been given by Pharaoh. And they go back, but guess what? They trust in God, and they choose to obey God over Pharaoh. Don't miss this. This is huge. These two women dared to defy Pharaoh. And he calls them back in. And they had to have thought, well, this is it. You know, we, we were clear on what he asked us to do. And we can't deny that we didn't do what he said. And, you know, it's been great. 
And they go in and he asked them and they said, look, the Hebrew women give birth really super fast. And you know what? Their heads don't roll. And in fact, the biblical narrative tells us that God blessed them with their own children. It matters that we trust and we obey. It matters. But then Pharaoh comes up with a different plan. We're just going to throw all the baby boys in the Nile River. Well, Jochebed finds that she's pregnant, and she gives birth to a baby boy, but there comes a point she can't hide him anymore. And I love the story of Jochebed because she obeys on a technicality the edict of Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh had ordered that all the baby boys be thrown in the Nile. So Jochebed put her son in a knot in the Nile in a very well-woven basket covered with pitch and tar and with his older sister watching. Don't you love that? Jochebed dared to trust and obey God more than Pharaoh. And through Jochebed, we get Moses and she nurses her own son. It's this beautiful story of trusting and obeying over and over and over again. We have Moses. We have Aaron. Trust and obey. And in Moses, we have this wrestling match with God. God comes to Moses, right? In the wilderness. Moses' life, 40, 40, 40, 40 in the palace, 40 in the wilderness, 40 leading God's people. He comes to Moses after Moses has been herding sheep in Midian for the last 40 years. I'm thinking to myself, he's settled in. This is his new life. This is what he's going to do. He's not in the posh palace anymore. That's, that part of his life is over. And God comes to him and he goes, yeah, I want you to go back. And Moses is like, uh, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I no. you got the wrong guy. I'm 80 years old. I don't, I, no, I don't want to do that. Go back and study it. There are five excuses that Moses gives, and I'm confident that one of them will ring with you. And perhaps in a future podcast, we'll discuss all of those. But Moses didn't want to just jump into trusting and obedience. And God performs miracles and signs just for Moses personally to try to show off to him. I mean, after all, he is speaking to him through a bush that is on fire but is not being consumed. And God meets him there. And he invites Moses to be a part of his deliverance of his people. And even then, it's not simple. You know the narrative. Moses, in fact, after five excuses and after God meeting him and answering each one of those five, and you can find them, Exodus 1 and 2, you can do this. He even sends his own brother to help him out. Then it's not lead out of the land of Egypt. Oh, no, it's a process because he goes back to Pharaoh who has no point of reference about who God is. And he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. Not a chance. And God shows off who he is. He's the Lord of creation. He's in charge. He can send the flies and he can take them away. He can turn the Nile into blood and he can turn it back to water. I can turn, give you frogs. I can rain down hell. You know what else I can do? I can turn off the lights. It can be so dark you can't move. God shows off. God shows off. And he delivers his people. Yes, he does. 
and his people go out with great rejoicing. And what we see in Pharaoh is a negative reaction, right? God hardens his heart. So God is who he says he is. And and Pharaoh's like, yeah, no, no. Fast forward a little further, we get to Joshua and Caleb. We get to the book of Numbers. If you remember, after the people of the Hebrews leave, go through the Red the Red Sea on dry land, and they're in the wilderness, right? And it's come time for them to go into the promised land, to take the land that God has given them, right? And so they choose spies. It's time to go in. And the spies are in for 40 days and they come back shaking their heads. Ten of them, their heads are down. And ten of them said, yeah, it is exactly what God said it was. It's flowing with, the land is throwing flowing with milk and honey. It's uh, it's a great land. It's glorious. But yeah, there are giants in the land and the cities are fortified and the walls are tall and thick and we just look like grasshoppers to these people. And, and Joshua and Caleb were like, yeah, wait, back up a couple of sentences. This is the land that God gave to us and it's flowing with milk and honey. And yes, there are giants, and yes, the walls are fortified, but God, I mean, but God, God, God said that he was going to, he said it was our land, and God gave it to us, and if God gave it, we need to go take it. It's ours for the taking. And the other 10 were like, mm, no, I, I just think this is, a good, this is a good plan. What's the difference between the 10 and the two? Focus. Joshua and Caleb kept their focus on God. And the other 10 were distracted by high walls and tall people. It's the same thing for you and me. We get distracted by the giants and the fortified cities, and we forget to focus on God. Joshua and Caleb trusted and obeyed, but it they had to endure 40 years wandering in the wilderness burying friends and family members who doubted, who didn't trust and obey. So their trust and obedience was honored in that they went in. That whole generation died. They were the oldest guys that went in. Moses didn't even go in. Joshua and Caleb were the oldest two that went into the promised land. Joseph, I mean, Joshua led them into the promised land, right? Because he trusted and obeyed. Because he dared to trust and he dared to obey We have the story of Hannah who goes and prays for a son. She longs for a son. She wants a son, and she makes a vow that if God would but bless her with a son, she will give him back to God all the days of her life. And God honors her prayer, answers her prayer, and she is blessed with a son, and she names him Samuel for this child I prayed. And the day comes... And it's time to take her to keep her vow. And she delivers her son to Eli. Eli, who was the father of two reprobate sons, sons who were in gross rebellion. But it wasn't about Eli. Hannah hadn't made a vow to Eli. Hannah had made a vow to trust and obey God. She, it wasn't about whether or not Eli was trustworthy. It was that she had promised 
God. And she obeyed by maintaining and keeping her vow, and she left her son there. And as a result, Samuel grew and was one of the great prophets and priests of God's people. Hannah trusted and obeyed. We see David, just a little snapshot of his life when he comes to visit his brothers who are on the battlefield opposite the Philistines, and you know the story of Goliath. And Goliath is defying the living God. And David shows up just with a few supplies and all of Israel's hiding behind a bunch of rocks. And David's like, wait, what in the world? Are you really going to hide behind a few rocks? I mean, this this giant over here is making fun of our God. That's not okay. And everybody's like, would you just duck down behind a rock and stop it? You're just a kid. You don't even know what you're talking about. And he's like, yeah, I kind of do know what I'm talking about because I shepherd sheep and none of the rest of you do. And I've been out there and God has been with me. He has been with me to protect the sheep. I know that God is almighty. And he is worthy of our praise. And it's not okay with me that this Philistine's making fun of him. And if he's if God will be with me against the lion and the bear when I'm protecting my sheep, I'm fairly confident that he's going to be with me to go and take out this giant. And this little shepherd boy goes down and does what he's done for who knows how long as a shepherd gets a couple of stones from the creek, puts them in his little bag, And goes out and faces the giant when you've got all of the army of Israel cowering behind rocks. And he says, I'm not coming to you with a a sword or a spear. I come to you in the name of God. And he takes him down because he trusts and obeys in who God is. Not in his own ability, but in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. And he honored God in his obedience You know, we can go forward and march through all of the prophets. We can look at the tragic decision that the people of God made in the divided kingdom to disobey God, and they were taken in to exile. They were taken into Babylon. They were dispersed. Why? Because they disobeyed. They didn't trust God. They took their eyes off of Him. They started looking at the other neighboring countries. They abandoned His covenant, His law, His loving limits, and they sought to do things their own way. They sought to worship other gods. They no longer kept the Sabbath. They intermarried. They abandoned all of the offerings of relationship, all of the parameters of the covenant that God had initiated, and he disciplined them. And then we can fast forward to when God brought his people back together and brought them back through Nehemiah and Ezra and Zerubbabel back to rebuild the temple, back to rebuild Jerusalem. And then ultimately we can fast forward to an angel coming to Mary and inviting Mary, extending an invitation to a young virgin to be part of God's plan to carry Messiah. And we see young Mary dare to trust and obey. Dare to. And that's our call. God 
comes to us in covenantal love, extends to us as initiates a relationship with us. And he gives us, because love always gives us, a choice to participate by trusting and obeying. And I want to challenge you, very often we stall out. We stall out because we want to understand. We want it to make sense. And it doesn't always make sense. Over and over in the Old Testament, opportunities to keep God's commandments through trusting and obeying. They didn't make sense. And a boat in the middle of nowhere really doesn't make sense. Marching around Jericho and blowing horns doesn't really make sense. But it's an opportunity to trust who God is and obey Him. Sometimes we stall out because we want other people to approve. We want to be liked. We want to be accepted. We don't want to be weird. But oh, that we would dare to trust and obey even when other people ridicule us. I'm fairly confident that Noah was ridiculed. It had to have seemed obtuse to build a boat of that size in the middle of nowhere just because God said so. And there are other examples, right? Another reason that we want, we stall out sometimes in trusting and obeying is because we just don't want to. We want to do what we want to do. We don't really want to do what he wants us to do. But oh, that we would dare to trust and obey. As the hymn says, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. That is the right response to God's covenantal love. That's the right response to love's extension of a choice, is that we would dare to trust and obey. Join me next time as we wrap up this series with love's cost. I know you know what that is. You won't be surprised, but let's join in the the conversation next time. I'll see you then. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. Hey everybody, I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. We're hosts of the Kainos Project Podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. To learn more and subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.